Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit in the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the trees were beautiful, that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Let's pray over our time in the word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is awesome, living, true, active, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I just ask for supernatural revelation of your word, Lord God, and just supernatural uh, unction and anointing to not only receive it, but to apply it to our lives. Lord, I, I bind up all spiritual distraction, Lord God, anything that would try to hinder your word from going forth. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me as I teach and help all of us to to receive and again the grace to apply it to our lives in Jesus name we pray amen most of us in this room are very familiar with this passage of scripture with this story um, of Adam and Eve and, and the forbidden fruit and the, what's known as the fall of man um, Genesis describes the serpent as the deceiver he is later identified as Satan the great enemy of God's people his manipulative language and his disguise as a serpent The shrewdest of all creatures shows him as a master deceiver. See, Satan has various methods of opposing us as God's people, but deception remains among one of his key strategies. And even though a lot of us are familiar with this scripture, I'm sharing this tonight. Uh, and, and, and my wife and I was, we're out of town last week and, and we were actually ministering to some teenagers out of a Bible school and I, I ministered this message to them as, as well. And I believe, and, 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 and as we're getting closer to the last days, the Bible even talks about how the enemy deceives and will even try to deceive the elect if possible. God's people, you and me. And, and, and honestly, church, you know, I'm seeing it. James knew what I was going to say before I even said it. I'm seeing it in the church. I'm seeing it in the body of Christ. You know, not necessarily just in this church, but when you look around at Christianity Christianity as a whole, believers, even believers that have been saved for a long time, I believe are getting deceived. Things that they knew, things that they believed, things that they were convicted about, that they walked out, over time, it's like this deception has come upon them. So tonight, I want, I want to tell you, don't be deceived. Don't get deceived. We're going to look at a few specific things that Satan did to deceive Adam and Eve in this story. And he's still using these to try and deceive 
me and you today. Because see, the Bible says to, to be on guard of the enemy. It says to be alert because your enemy, the, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And I think partially of what's happening or some of what has happened is that people that have even been saved and been Christians a long time, they, they, you maybe get under a, a, an attitude or a mindset that I got this. But the Bible says to stay alert and to be alert because the enemy, as long as we're living on this planet, will be trying to deceive us. And we'll be trying to, to, to knock us off a track and get us out of fellowship with the Lord, get us into sin, and to try to do anything he can to kill, steal, and destroy us and our families and the church. That is his plan. Amen? So let's look at what he did. Just I just want to share three things with you this evening that he did to Adam and Eve to deceive them, and he's still trying to do with us. Number one, Satan tries to get you to doubt God's word. Genesis 1-3, the serpent was the shooters of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the tree of the garden? Did God really say that? See, he's planting doubt right there. Did God really say that? How many of you have heard, and I have heard, especially being in ministry, and when I try to minister, just does the Bible really say that? How many of y'all have literally have heard that? Somebody asked you that. Does the Bible really say that? Like you tell them something that you know is in the Bible. Even some believers. Does the Bible really say that? You know, the percentage of evangelical Christians that, that read their Bible on a daily basis has plummeted over the years. And it's easy to get deceived if, and, and doubt God's word if you don't know what God's word says. So first of all, we have to know what it says. You see, the serpent probably asked the woman because... The prohibition, the command not to eat, was actually given to Adam prior to Eve's creation. He gave the command to the man, and then later when Eve comes along, he goes to her and says, did God really say that? You know, because God spoke it to Adam, and then Adam passed it on to his wife. Side note, I wouldn't plan on talking about this, but as I see a bunch of men in him, men, this is a great example of us as spiritual leaders. You know what? When, When the Lord tells us something, and we know something's true in the Bible, we need to make sure that, that we're passing it on to our families, to our loved ones, maybe to those we're leading. It could be our spiritual uh, children, so to speak, or those that we got to make sure that even if, you know, no offense, ladies, if our wives come back and say, does the Bible really say that? Yes, the Bible really says that. Especially when the Lord gives you a word for you and your family, make sure as the spiritual leader that you hold on to that word and don't let any doubt, whether if it's coming in through your wife, through your children, through your coworkers, through whoever, that you stand on God's word. I mean, that, that was a side note. That was a freebie. I didn't even plan on going there. Satan cast out in Eve's mind with the question, did God really say? People still ask this question today because the enemy is deceiving them, right? And I'm going to just use a few examples. And, I, and I'm not going to get too, but just using a few examples. When you look at how God created us to live, in marriage, how God created us to, 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 to interact physically. We are sexual beings, and God has created sex to be between one man and one woman in the context of marriage, right? Well, that has got distorted over the years, to say the least, right? And what happens? We hear people, I've heard people say, well, you know what? This is how God created me. God made me this way, to be attracted to another person the person of my same gender. Whatnot. This is how God created me. And, and, and we say, well, no, the Bible doesn't say, well, does, does the Bible really say that? Because what happens, there's a whole doctrine out there of, 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 of people that believe that it's okay to live that way, and they even try to use Scripture to back it up. 
which I'll get to that in the second point. But did God really say that it's supposed to be this way? In this case, yes. Again, just as, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, picking on one certain group, even people that are, are you know, uh, are attracted to the opposite sex. A lot of people, even in the church, I'm going to just step on some toes tonight, even in the church, people believe that, you know what, as long as we love each other and we're going to get married one day, we can live together and, and, and we can have sexual relations because we love each other. We're going to get married. So it's just like we're married. Well, the Bible doesn't say if it's just like we're married. The Bible says that the marriage bed should not be defiled. And in other words, that, that, and it makes it very clear through the scriptures that you save sexual intercourse for when you get married, right? To one person of the opposite sex. Got to clarify that. So you see, there's doubt there. There's doubt where people's like, you know what? Uh, I, I, I'm, uh, you know, they, they, they put doubt because, you know, in, even in our, in our, uh, society was called, what's it called? The, uh, the common, when you've been living together so long, the state common law, common, that's what it's called. So when you've been been living together for a certain amount of time, the, the, the state looks at it as you're already married and you get all the same benefits, right? But that's not what the Bible says. So we can't allow, you know, law or culture or anybody else to dictate what God's word says. And I'm going to just give you one more example. You know, even if I don't, some people might say or think, even if I don't, accept Jesus and surrender my life to him, God forgives everybody anyway. God loves everybody, forgives everybody. So as long as I'm a good person, I'll still go to heaven when I die. And we've heard that. I've, I've heard that. Well, God loves everybody and God forgives everybody. Yes, God does love everybody. John 3.16 says that God so loved the whole world. That part is right. And God will forgive everybody if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as you repent of your sin and turn and live to him, but not just, if I'm going to be a good person, then I'll be all right. You know, I got the honor and the privilege Sunday afternoon. I have an aunt uh, that's dying of cancer. She, it, it spread, it's lung cancer spread to her bones. It's in her bones, it's in her lymph nodes. She has a, 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 a mass growing out of her neck. And for many, many years, her and her, apart <laughs> from living together for 35 years and all that kind of stuff, he's atheist and whatnot. Uh, but I was able to go over there Sunday afternoon and I was able to love on her, minister to her. And as I was starting to present the gospel to her, she said, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I try to do good to people and stuff. Right? And I said, you know, and that's great. That's great. You know what? But the Bible makes it clear. Jesus said, you know, that we must be born again in order to in, enter the kingdom of heaven. And I was able to present the gospel to her. And she received Christ right there in the spare bedroom. Amen. And I prayed for her. I anointed it with all and prayed for her. So even at the end, if, if, if you know, someone, if, if you get the opportunity to minister to someone, whether they're young or like my aunt that's later in life, hospice been called in. And to me, that's where it's more urgent. Like that might, I hope it's not, but that might be the last time I see my aunt. And I, I wanted to take the opportunity like, yeah, that's good. You're, you're a good person. You're helping people and all this kind of stuff, you know, but um, you need to be born again. And she was. And what's cool is I just went back on that. They've been living together for 35 years. You could tell the Lord softened her heart. She wants to get right because in a couple of weeks they're getting married. <laughs> so <laughs> praise God. You know, so that's a cool, it's a cool story. So don't allow the enemy to doubt God's word. So the application is we must get in God's word and hold on to the truth of God's word. If it, again, just like I was, I was sharing with y'all for God to speak to you, because that's the thing. You read it. You don't want to just read the word for knowledge. But again, we know this. The, the Holy Spirit will confirm what's true. 
if we listen to his voice and know what the word says, he'll confirm what's true. Even when the enemy, as he did, or people, because the enemy does use people and circumstances to cast a doubt in our minds. If we stand firm in the word, the Bible talks about standing on the word, even when he tries to cast doubt. Faith. The opposite of doubt is, is faith. We need to have faith and just stand. Even when it don't look like it or whatnot, the word of God. Listen, y'all, Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It doesn't change. The Bible also says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have to lay that groundwork so and know that inside of our knower, inside of our spirit, so we don't have any doubt cast on us. Amen? Number two, Satan tries to distort God's word. If he can't make you doubt it, he'll try to just distort it, try to twist it a little bit. Genesis 3, 1, the serpent was the shooters of all wild animals that the Lord God made. One day asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any of the trees in the garden? Is that what God said? No, it's not what God said. The deceiver twisted God's language, which distorted God's word. So he twisted the language a little bit to distort God's word. God's original command applied to one tree, not any and all of them. He did this to cast doubt, but also, listen to this, it wasn't just to distort God's word, but his ultimate motivation was to distort the goodness of God. He was trying to distort God's word and God's goodness. He was attacking God's character, and I'm going to show you how here in a minute. You see, the enemy will often try to distort God's goodness, especially during tragedy. As I just prayed, in less than 24 hours, you know, we, we, we get two different tragic news of two different tragedies and literally in less than 24 hours yesterday afternoon. And then again, first thing this morning, I woke up to the text about, about Nathan. And, and I find that in times like that, that's when the enemy is really going to try to get you to, to distort God's goodness. Man, if God is so good, why would he allow this to happen? If God is so good, why, why would he allow, you know, when I was driving to the hospital to go meet with our friends uh, yesterday evening, I was worshiping and I just began to thank the Lord. Lord, you are good. You are still good. You are always good. And I've told y'all this church, I've resolved in me. And I'm not saying it's always easy. I don't want to stand up here like I got it made and all that. But I'm telling you, this has helped my walk because these are people that we're close to. And these are people that we love and we walk with. I had to resolve in me. And I encourage you, I implore you tonight to resolve in yourself that God is still good no matter what. That no matter how bad, how bad, try to, God is still good. Again, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, okay? Some people will even take certain scriptures or stories and say, how could a good God command something like that? You ever read through the Old Testament? They got some pretty hardcore stuff in there, you know? And, and God has, you know, commanded stuff. See, the enemy will take that and distort that and say, how can a good God allow this to happen or command this to happen? Well, there, I can, if you have a question about that, I can sit down and theologically explain some of that stuff, but you have to resolve in yourself that, you know what, God is still good. You know, if you ever thought that or heard these thoughts, is the enemy trying to distort you? Whether it be in tragedy, through the word, you even read something like, man, that's, that's pretty hardcore, you know? Know that it's the enemy trying to get you. He's trying to distort the word of God, but more than the word of God, he's trying to distort God's goodness. I actually should should have put that in, in, at part of that point. He's trying to get you to distort God's word and his goodness. So if you take a note, you can add that. See, Eve tried to set the record straight, but in the process, she belittled, listen, she belittled the privileges God had given her and her husband in seven several ways. She reduced God's freely eat to we may eat. God said you can freely eat. You have the whole garden. Listen, it, the... I believe that the description and from what I've read and studied that 
the Garden of Eden, if you've ever been, we have some friends that just got back from Yosemite, and just the pictures on Facebook was like, oh, my gosh, that's on my bucket list. I want to go. Anybody ever been to Yosemite? Been out there? It's, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. And so, but even the most beautiful place you've been through, I believe that the garden was probably as beautiful if not more beautiful than that. He said, you can eat of anything. So God said, eat freely. And then she said, no, we may eat. So she, she downgraded the privileges. Second, she downplayed God's emphasis on the availability of the fruit from every tree but one. She, she was, she, she was, because of the distortion, all that God had blessed them with started getting less and less. The third thing is that she added not touching to God's prohibition. He said, he said, no, we, we, we could eat. He, he said not to, we can eat of all these trees. He said not to eat or not even touch it. Did he say not to touch it? No, he never said, go back and read. If you read verses one, God never said not to touch it. Read the whole, uh, all of Genesis. Again, goes back to us guys. And I believe because the command was through the man and maybe when it got passed over, you know, she might've heard something different, you know, and, or maybe the man didn't make it clear. So I'm not, I'm not going to do like him. I'm not going to blame the woman. Okay. But somebody, so she added not touching and then she softened the certainty of death. So listen, guys, if we're not careful, and we allow the enemy or anybody to come in, we can, we can distort the goodness of God and lessen the privileges and the blessing that he has given us. Which leads me to my third and final point. Satan tries to outright contradict the truth of God's word. He tries to cast doubt on God's word. He tries to, to distort it. And again, let me, before I move on to three, and then he tries to contradict it, the application for the second point, it, again, is to hold Hold to it. Don't, don't allow any twist. Don't allow any kind of like thing to fit what you're trying to do, fit your lifestyle, fit your, your, your relationship, fit maybe a pet sin or any of this stuff. Don't allow any distortion to come in because I'm telling you, there's little bitty distortions. They build whole denominations on it. They build whole doctrines or whole cults on really. And then people get led astray for that. So stick to the pure an unadulterated word of God, and, and it's in fullness to its, its meaning. Look, and if you don't, if you're not sure of it, there's many of, of, of commentaries and things out there. Ask us. That's what we're here for as pastors, as staff. If you're not sure, the clarity. I mean, somebody told me that, you know, the, the Bible really means this or that, that it means something different. Come talk to us, and we'll try to help you out. Amen? So the third and final thing, Satan tries to contradict the truth of God's word. I looked up the word contradict, and it means to deny the truth of a statement especially by exerting the opposite. So let's read now verses two through five. Eve said, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, if only the fruit from the middle, in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. Very first thing Satan says, you won't die. Total 180 degree contradiction. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Satan saying you won't die was the exact opposite of God's clear words and command. You see that? Exact opposite. You won't die. See, the serpent capitalized on Eve's uncertainty from earlier. You remember, did God really say? She was scratching her head. No, no, God didn't say that. God said this. So, so now you see it's it's a progression. Do y'all see that? There's a progression. He got her to doubt. Then he got her to distort the goodness. Now he he's pounced on her. He totally contradicts. He's like he's setting her up. It's like a trap. Every little every every step was a trap setting her up to totally contradict and said, "Look. God said this, that's not going to happen." You won't die. So he capitalized on her uncertainty. See, if we're not certain of what we believe, 
If we're not grounded in what we believe, it'll be a lot easier for the enemy to deceive us. That actually rhymes. If we're not certain on what we believe, it's easy for the enemy to deceive. Amen? You know, and this is another brother of mine. We really wasn't debating. I have a great friend of mine. He's actually a pastor here in town. We've been friends for years. But but there are some things that he was, we would always get into these conversations, not debate. It was never a tense thing. We would always laugh and hug after. And he, one day we were talking about tithing and, and whatnot. And we were talking about what tithing, New Testament. He's like a studier. This brother studies and he gets in all the, you know, and he really, really digs deep and, and whatnot. But he was trying to find his way and what. And, 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 and I told him then, I said, man, I hope you don't think that I, I'm like debating with you, that I'm always trying to, or you think that I'm always think that I'm right. And cause, cause it was, we, we would have these conversations, but I would still like, no, man, tithing is biblical. I know it's biblical because I've seen it in my own life. And, and what God said is true. It's true. And I've been doing it. And, and I said, it's just what it is. And so at the end, I said, okay, man, you sure we good? You know? And he said, yeah, man. He said, Brandon, we good. He said, one of the things I love about you. And he said, I, I'm really in a sense kind of jealous of is that you know what you believe and you stick to it, you know? And it's, and I'm just, I'm not saying that to, to, to brag on myself because I was even making sure I wasn't coming off too hard, but it's true. The firmer you can dig down and believe and not be uncertain, the less that the enemy is going to be able to come in and just straight contradict God's word, right? See, he denied the consequence and quickly diverted her attention to the supposed prize to be like God, knowing both, no, no, you're not, knowing both between good and evil. You're not going to die. No, you're going to be just like God if you do that. See, Satan falsely implies that this would be actually good for them. Total opposite. Satan is still trying to make us believe this today. He will make you think that the consequences of sin, God says, will happen, won't happen, and that it will actually be a long-awaited prize. Total opposite. He says, no, you know, because listen, when it comes to sin, guys, the truth is, is that sin is enticing. If Satan would dangle destruction, decay, the loss of your family and stuff in front of you, nobody would ever take the bait, right? Those of us that fish, right? You throw bait that that looks real, that looks appetizing to a fish, so a fish will eat it, right? You just, I mean, I guess some you don't, you can't just throw a hook out there and they'll bite it. I guess some little ponds you can do that, that you know. But but when you go out fishing, you can't just get out there and have this big old massive hook with a sign on it that says, "If you bite this, you will be caught and filleted and fried tonight," right? Nobody would ever eat it. The fish would never eat. You throw out, we throw bait out that looks appetizing and good and satisfying to the fish. See, the enemy dangles things in front of us that, that makes us believe we're going to be satisfied with doing the contradictory of what God said instead of doing what God tells us to do. No, no, no. If, if you do that, that's not going to happen. You truly be satisfied and fulfilled if you do the opposite. So let me just give you some examples. For example, staying inside of the boundaries that are set, you know, and, and as I was, you know, preaching this as teenagers last week, I was talking about the boundaries that the parents set, and there are some kids in here, and, and I know, you know, your kids, your parents have boundaries for you and whatnot, but even us as adults, think about it. Even us as adults do it. It's, 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 we feel like that if we get outside of the boundaries that God has set for us, or even, you know, that we'll, we'll have more freedom. Going back to, let's talk about marriage. What about faithfulness in marriage? Well, man, instead of just being with this one person, man, it'd be nice to, to still be able to be with multiple people. I can have more freedom, right? But, but what, what is the lie of that? That's, that brings destruction. It brings the loss of your, of your marriage, of your children, hurt and heartache. Just, just in the simple, simple practical terms, if we as adults get outside of the boundaries of either a, a local, state, or federal laws, and we say, man, I don't want to do what the government says I have to do. I want freedom. Or let me say another one. What the IRS tells us to do? 
I want freedom to do what I want to do with my money. I don't want to have to pay them all of that. Well, you'll have some freedom. But if you get caught, guess what? The opposite of freedom happens, right? I want to be free to be able to go as fast as I want on the road and on the highway, not wear my seatbelt, right? How many people, and, 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 and no offense if you've had a loved one that's been in an accident, but people that, man, I don't want to wear this seatbelt. How many accidents we hear now, they say, man, they wasn't restrained, they were thrown. If they would have wore a seatbelt, might have saved their lives, right? We think freedom outside of the boundaries of what we need to do brings freedom. But when we contradict these boundaries, especially from God, it doesn't bring us freedom. We're actually in more bondage, right? What about, you know, and this is one of the things that I'm just, I have, I've never really gone there. And I'm not going to stick on it much, but I've been seeing more even in, in, in the Christian culture. What about people that, that indulge in alcohol or in certain substances? And for even nowadays, for certain people, like looking at maybe just a little bit of pornography to escape, to feel better, to kill the pain or to have that escape. You know, it's like, man, I'll feel good. It'll be satisfying to me. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not hurting anybody else. It's just me doing this thing off to the side. You know, what about that? that that's a lie. That's a contradictory of God's word. The Bible warns clearly about alcohol and certain things and be careful, you know, and I, I get it. You know, some people one or two and you can control it and all that. And, and that's fine. But Proverbs clearly warns, be careful when it comes to alcohol, because if you look at the wine too long, it will bite like a viper. And so we got to be careful with that. But what, what's the truth of dabbling in, 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 you know, substances or let's say pornography or anything outside of marriage? You know, the truth is you can get addicted like I was for 10 years to drugs and alcohol. That's the truth. Again, going back, you get behind a vehicle when you're intoxicated. You could either kill somebody else or yourself. See, again, the beer commercials don't ever have a have a um, a commercial showing people partying, having fun, and then going home and killing somebody or themselves, right? See, they, there, there's a lie that if, you know, this is what it looks like, this is what it's going to be. But the truth of that, the underlying is, is a lot deeper and darker. Or getting into anything uh, illicit like pornography or anything outside of marriage, you can, you know, not only harm yourself, others, but you can end up losing your family and just get out of the right relationship with God. That's the truth. And in this last one, and, and I must, this is not uh, necessarily a reward-based one, but as I was going over this message again and just tweaking a little bit, I thought about this one. How many parents we got in here? Let me see your hands. Okay. I even heard this from, from a good friends of ours years ago, and I, I believe they've come away from this, but, but Christian parents that are born again that believed in, in uh, physical discipline, I'm talking about spanking, okay? And as they read online, they read that if you spank your kids, it will mess them up psychologically. That you should not spank your children because it will mess them up psychologically. And again, if you don't spank your kids, I'm not, I'm not going after you. I'm just wanting to show you what the Word of God says. Because people that don't believe in the Bible totally contradict the Bible. Okay? And so they say, man, if you spank your kids, you can mess them up psychologically. They'll have all kind of... Um, psychological and social issues and, and whatnot. But look what Proverbs says. It's interesting that they say that because the Bible says in Proverbs 19, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, what will happen? You will ruin their life. Isn't that crazy? It's an, what the psychologists and, and are saying is an exact contradiction to what the Bible says. It says if you don't discipline your children, and I don't mean just spanking and whatever, but rules and boundaries with consequences. If you don't do that, you're going to ruin their life. Spanking them is not going to ruin their life. How many of us in here have been spanked and we're okay? All right? Now I get it, right? 
So, and I get it. There's a fine line. Let me, let me clarify. I'm not talking about beating your kids. I'm not, some people can take spanking to another level and can get into abuse. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about a good, wholesome spanking and then hugging after. I love you. Let's pray together. This is why I did this. My parents did it to me. And so, and I'm glad they did because I'm not in jail today and I know boundaries, right? But you see how it's a direct contradiction. You know, some people also say that if you spank your kids, you're being mean to them and you're not showing them love. That's not loving to spank your kids. Have you heard that? I mean, I've heard it. There's, there's, that people, there's a mindset of that. You're not loving your children if you're spanking them. You, that's not, you can't be showing them love. Proverbs 13, 24 says this. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough about them to discipline them. You see what I'm saying? It's an exact contradiction. You know? And if we're not careful, like our Christian friends, she, she talked to Cassie when they were actually her husband and my, me and her husband were talking. She's like, yeah, me and my wife, she, she's saying now she's not still about spanking because they said it would mess her up. I said, what you said is like, the Bible says to spank. We will spank our kids. I was like, amen, brother. That's right. You know, and she, you know, but, but it's an exact contradiction, right? The Bible says, you know, we, there, there was, we, we had, we had a, saw a guy, we heard a guy preaching one night. And he was talking about this. He was talking about how his parents let him do whatever he wanted to do. Some of y'all might have heard this story. He talked about how his parents let him do whatever he wanted to do. They never spanked him. They never gave him consequences. They let him run wild all of his life. This man ended up getting saved. He was a pastor and he was preaching. And listen, y'all, he was up on stage preaching and he started crying. And he said, when I read this scripture that I just read to y'all, that if you love your children, you're disciplined. He went back to his parents. And as he was telling the story, he was crying. And he said, did y'all not love me? As a grown man, his heart broke because he didn't get spanked. Now, that's real life. God, ask my wife. She was in that service. He was crying. He said, did y'all not love me enough to discipline me? And he understood. He got that what the word of God says is that if you care for your children, right? If your kids are going to run out in the middle of the road and they don't see a truck coming, I might grab my child by her hair and pull a chunk of her hair out and she might cry. But you know what? She don't realize there's an 18-wheeler that just passed by. And that little bit of hair that I just pulled out of hair saved her life, right? And so kids don't get it, but you understand we do it because we love them, right? So you see, I just want to end on that. It's an exact contradiction. Don't let people, the world, the enemy contradict what the Bible says is true. Let's not let the, the enemy distort cast doubt, or especially contradict the word of God. And as we close, Genesis 3, 6 says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the trees were beautiful and it was fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. I'm going to end right here. Remember I said that it was a buildup. He cast doubt, he distorted, he contradicted, and then she was convinced. Once the enemy convinces you, he got you. That's it. That's the hook right there. He sets the hook and he's reeling you in. Once he convinces you, he got you. It says the woman was convinced. And after she was convinced, both her and her husband ate the fruit. And we have sin as we know it today because of it. Don't fall to the strategies of the enemy. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me? As you stand, I want to read one more scripture. And it's found in John chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 in the Amplified Version. And this is the Lord Jesus talking here. He says, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will live forever. And will go in and out freely and will find pasture, spiritual security. The thief comes in order to steal, to kill, and destroy. Remember I mentioned that earlier. I came 
that you may have life or may have and enjoy life and have it up to abundance to the full till it overflows. See, the enemy tries to deceive us to destroy our lives, right? Jesus made that plain. But on the other hand, Jesus comes, he said, to give us life. Some translations say life abundantly, to enjoy life, have it to the full and overflows. So all night I've been talking about not allowing the enemy to deceive you so he can destroy you. So now as we close up, whatever head bow and every eye close, do me a favor and, and bow with me. Just out of respect for others and again, reverence for the Lord, we're communing with him again. You might be in here tonight and you say, Brandon, you know, I've been getting deceived by the enemy. I think it's been very easy for him because I've never, I've never repented of my sins. I've never asked the Lord to forgive me. As we talked about communion earlier, I talked about the cross. We read how he died and we had communion to remember him dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus goes on to say that anyone, I am the door, anyone who enters with me will live forever and will be saved. Will be saved. Listen, the Bible makes it clear that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Then it also says in Romans, these are both in Romans, it says that the wages of sin of death, that word death means eternal death, eternally separated from God. But Jesus said you'll live forever. The only way to live forever is for live to live for eternity. So what happens if we sin and the wages of sin is eternal separation from God? How do we get right with God? By trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That word believe means to trust. It says to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Brandon, you know, I know I've sinned in my life. I know the enemy's been deceiving me and, and, and I don't know if I'll live forever. Let me ask you a question. Will you live forever? Again, guys, I, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to be morbid, but what happened last night, 32-year-old man just working, feeling fine. The manager said he was fine an hour before. And he collapsed over and he's in eternity. If that was you, do you know if you would live forever? Would you live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ? Or would you be eternally separated from the Lord Jesus? If you say, Brandon, I'm not sure. I don't know, man, if that was me last night in that parking lot, I don't know if I'd live forever. But I want to know. I want to make sure that I'm right with the Lord. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up and I want to pray for you. Say, Brandon, I need to get my life right with the Lord. I see your hand in the back. Anybody else? These young men right here. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Say, man, I need to get right. I need to give my heart to the Lord. Any other hands? Thank you, Lord, for these hands that have gone up. Anybody else? All right, like I said earlier, we're going to pray together. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, that means to trust that Jesus died for your sins and to place your sins and confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. So let's all, we're going to all pray together. And just pray the simple prayer of faith with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, I know that I've sinned. And I ask that you forgive me of my sin. And Lord, I make you my Lord and Savior. Now give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. And to know, Lord, your voice each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's rejoice with those that just made that decision. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hey, listen, if you raised your hand and, and, and made a decision for the first time, maybe recommitted your life to the Lord, maybe you didn't and you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a card in the pew right in front of you. Fill it out. It only takes about a minute. And you can go to the info center in the lobby, turn it in, 
we got a Bible. If you need a Bible, we have some material to get you started. Uh, amen. And, and, and again, if you're here for, for school supplies, just go in the lobby and, and, and meet one of the people in there. They'll get you lined up. For, for the rest of us, guys, let's not compromise, right? Let's not let the enemy put any doubt in our head, distort God's word, or remember, distort his goodness. Settle in yourself if you hadn't tonight that no matter what, that God is good, right? And then again, don't, don't let the enemy contradict the word of God. What the word of God says, it's true. It always has been and always will be. Amen. Let me just pray a blessing over you before we go. Father, I pray over all of these tonight. And I ask your supernatural grace, touch, peace, and power. Lord, give us the wisdom and the discernment to hear, Lord God, to know, Lord, your voice, to hear your voice and to know when the enemy's trying to deceive us, whether it be through people, through our thoughts, or whatever it might be, through the media, family, other influences. Give us that wisdom that we stay living in the truth of the Word of God and knowing that you're good, Father, all the time. Lord, I pray your blessing and grace and protection of be upon these as they go tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. We'll be more than glad to play with you. Have a good evening.